So today we find ourselves squarely in the middle of the Gospel of Luke. Luke starts with several chapters in the beginning about Jesus' birth, Jesus' coming into the world. We hear of Mary traveling to her cousin Elizabeth, where together they affirm and support one another, that beautiful covenant that women can hold for each other. And then there's the traditional manger scene with choirs of angels and heavenly hosts from on high. Later, years later, John the Baptist affirms his cousin, Jesus, in his ministry, and in the waters of the River Jordan, a dove descends, and we hear God say, this is my beloved, with whom I am well pleased. From that point, Jesus goes wandering in the wilderness to be tempted, as Seth preached on last week. And in between the temptation today, there's a whole lot. There's the feeding of the 5,000, there's Jesus' transfiguration, there's healing and teaching and preaching. And in chapter 9, just a few chapters before where we find ourselves today, Jesus begins his journey to Jerusalem, to the, that inevitable end that comes, that terrible Good Friday that awaits. But here in the middle, we are reminded of what Jesus' ministry, what his work here on earth is really about. Now, I wonder if you were to take a moment and pause and, and think, what is the central word that comes to mind when you think about Jesus's ministry? I'm sure I would get a lot of different answers from you all. What word comes to mind for you? Is it, is it healing? Is it justice? Is it hope? Is it peace? These are certainly part of Jesus's ministry, but all of them come back to that which is central. One word, love. When Jesus is asked in other chapters, what, what is the greatest commandment? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. This is the totality of all the commandments, all the other rules, all the other things that we think are important. The central part is love. Jesus' life is a manifestation of that holy love. Holy love that we saw poured out in the waters of baptism today for Eve. Holy love that sits in the midst of the impossibleness of life, in the grief, in the pain of sickness, and does not try to fix it, and doesn't try to shy away from it. As our Stephen ministers live out that holy love with their care receivers in our congregation. It's a holy love like a mother hens that continually invites us in to shelter under God's wing. From the Gospel of Luke. At that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, get away from here for Herod wants to kill you. He said to them, Go and tell that fox for me, listen, I am casting out demons and performing cures today and tomorrow, and on the third day I finish my work. Yet today, tomorrow, and the next day I must be on my way because it is impossible for a prophet to 
to be killed outside of Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often have I desired to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. See, your house is left to you. And I tell you, you will not see me until the time comes when you say, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Amen. Amen. Would you please pray with me? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be glorified in your sight, for you, O God, are our rock, and you are our redeemer. Amen. So before our daughter Eliza was born, who Eliza is now a 20-month-old toddler running around with all sorts of opinions, but before she was born, as I've shared, our friends and loved ones sent us books. Books after books after books. There were books about what would happen during pregnancy, which honestly, some of it was a little horrifying. There were books about what it would mean for this baby to come into our lives, about how to feed the baby and how the baby could sleep and how to discipline your child. I don't know if you all received any of those books when you all were expecting your kids, but our house became piled with all that we could learn. And as you, many of you know, as someone who likes to feel like I'm in the know, I took up and I read and I read and I read. And I read things that terrified me and I read some things that were funny. Many of these books, though, encouraged us to make what is called a birth plan. I don't know if any of you have heard of this concept of a birth plan, some of you, okay. Um, so a birth plan is a list of desires that you have for how you want your child to come into the world. And since I am a very detail-oriented person, I made a list that consisted of three front-to-back pages. <laughs> and it ranged from the silly specific to the more general desires. And I remember taking this list to my doctor, whom I love, and he put on his like tiny little round glasses that sit on the edge of his nose, and he looked over this list. And he nodded, and he hummed, as he read each finely detailed bullet point. And then he put down the papers, and he turned to me, and he said, these are really lovely, but I also want to be honest with you. While we can hope for these things and try to keep these intentions in mind, chances are your baby will come into the world exactly as they want to. And in that moment, I felt like the illusion that I had built up by reading all these books and by organizing my cupboards and my fridge in this like very specific way, all the lists that I had made, this illusion that I had control seemed to crumble around me. And as I sit here today, a week, maybe days, maybe hopefully not moments before <laughs> our second baby comes into the world, I'm reminded of how little control I have over how the baby comes into the world, sure, but also not just the beginning of her life. I also have so little control in all that comes after. I've preached in the past on how mothering is a radical act of hope. 
It stands in the face of fear and nihilism. You don't bring little ones into this world thinking that it's all going to go terrible. You have dreams for what life will hold for them. And this morning, as Jesus compares himself to a mother hen wishing, hoping to draw contentious, hurting, rebellious Jerusalem in, mothering is still about hope. But mothering, too, is about an ultimate act of letting go. For our own sake and sanity, but also for those whom we love and mother. We let go of control and we live into love. And mothering here is about so much more than biology. It's about the ways that we bring love into the world, that we create life, maybe with little humans, but maybe in our work or in our friendships or our relationships. Mothering is that act of loving and creating. Jesus's love throughout all of the Gospels is not one that is about control. It does not dictate. Instead, it liberates. I'm sure, I can imagine, that Jesus wanted things to be different. I can imagine that feeling of loving so much, of hoping for it to turn out some other way and knowing how it will be in the end. The Pharisees today come to warn Jesus, after all, of what will await him with Herod. But this news isn't new to Jesus. After all, Herod's father was the one who committed the slaughtering of the innocents back when Jesus was a babe. Jesus knows what lies ahead. And despite that, he doesn't change. He did not let his love be altered or deterred by the world. Jesus, knowing what would come, loved anyways. Despite Judas's betrayal and Peter's denial, Jesus loved them. He greeted them with open arms. He welcomed them into discipleship with him. He brought them under his wing. Peter, after all, becoming that rock upon which the church is built. Love doesn't control. It frees in ways that are beautiful and impossible, and oh God, sometimes so, so painful. There's an interview with Maya Angelou that I encourage you all to look up after service on YouTube called Love Liberates, where Maya reflects on the love of her own mother and the ways that it freed her. In the beginning, Maya speaks of generalities. She says, love liberates. It doesn't just hold on. That is ego. And then she goes on to tell her story. See, at 17, Maya found herself pregnant, and after her son was born, she went to her mother one day and said, I'm leaving. You're leaving my house, her mother asked. Her mother owned this big 14-room home and had help there, which honestly, as someone about to have a kid, sounds really nice. <laughs> I don't know why Maya left, but, but Maya tells her mom, she says, I have a job, I have a, ha a place to stay with kitchen privileges down the hall, 
And the woman who's the landlord has said that she'll take care of the baby when I'm away at work. Her mother replied, you're leaving my house. And that's my own intonation. I can't help but like, infer her mother's skepticism at this decision, her own disbelief. She says, you're going to leave the comfort and convenience of this place to go somewhere else? In my mind, that's the conversation that's happening. But she asks Maya again, you're leaving my house and you're taking the baby. Maya replied, yes, ma'am. And her mother said, well, remember this. When you step over that door sill, you have been raised. You know the difference between right and wrong. Do right. Don't let anybody raise you and make you change. And remember that you can always come home. And Maya said she did. When life threw her down, when things seemed impossible, not once, not twice, but several times, every time she couldn't handle it on her own, she went home. But she says her mother never acted like, I told you so, or I knew this would happen. Instead, she said, oh, my baby's home and I'm gonna cook you something. See, love, in her loving of Maya, she liberated her. She brought her under her wing and she also let her fly. I can imagine there were times when Maya's mother wished that things were different. I wonder how she felt with her baby bringing a baby into the world. I wonder how she felt loving her baby, empowering her, liberating her, and letting her go, not to stay in her home, but to live her life. I wonder how she felt loving so fully, welcoming time and time again when Maya came back. When Jesus, in our scripture today, is met with the threat of Herod, the Pharisees' warning of what is to come, Jesus acknowledges the pain that lies ahead. He's not, he's not naive, and he knows the pain won't just come at the hands of Rome, but of the people. And yet, his ministry of love goes undeterred. He tells them he's going to continue to heal and to care. He will continue to follow his calling to gather God's people together in love because he cannot control the rest. He cannot control the Herods and the ways that the powerful play and pray, using their privilege to penalize. Jesus cannot control. He did, after all, enter into full humanity with us. But what Jesus can do, what Jesus can control, is his life and his ministry and the love that he is called to. The world has felt so heavy lately. I know it has for me and maybe it has for you as well. And honestly, the question of how do we go about loving in this moment arises again and again. And I'm struck by what love looks like. The acknowledgement of how little we can control and the desire to do the powerful, transformative good we can in its little, magnificent ways. As states pass horrific legislation around the personhood of queer and trans siblings, as the health and safety of these folks and their families and the medical providers is challenged, 
As there are attempts to erase and silence, it can feel impossible and we can wonder, how did we even get here? But now more than ever, we are called to be a sanctuary against the world. We're called to be that beacon of love, making space where all are safe, welcomed, celebrated, protected under God's wing. And where we are strengthened to do what we can out in the world. And God, while there's sometimes it feels like so little that we can control, there are acts of love that liberate in tiny transformative ways that we can be a part of. This past week, there was a photo of seven strollers left at a Polish train station, empty, waiting for the babies that would come. As women and infants flood to Poland from the Ukraine, carrying that which is most precious to them, which is most beloved. And while these women of Poland, like all of us, feel the lack of control, we cry out, what can we do? We love even those we haven't met yet. Like Maya's mother welcoming her home again and again with arms outstretched, we make safe space waiting for the weary. This is love in that tiny, miraculous, monumental way that liberates by making space under God's wing. Now, I'm not sure what life will hold for our little baby Josephine. Like Joseph in the Bible, I have dreams of all that her life will be. But I also know how little control I have. I know that she will meet pain and tragedy, as we all do, in the messy brokenness and the humanness of this life. But I also pray and believe that she will feel a love that gathers her in, in places like this, with people like you, where she will be loved, where she'll feel comfort and the shelter of God's wing, so that she too may learn to fly. May this be so for her, but it also may it be so for each and every one of us. Amen.